Welcome to this special GSX Plus Daily Edition of Security Management Highlights. Glenn C. Schoon is an International Security and Crisis Management Advisor and founder of Boardroom at Crisis BV, BoardroomCrisis.com. An American born and raised in the Netherlands, his specialties include international terrorism, threat assessment, C-suite issue awareness, and assisting crisis and security managers in engaging their organization's boardroom. Mr. Glenn, welcome to Security Management Highlights, my friend. Thank you. Now, today we're going to speak about speaking to the media on security issues. You know, you're an international crisis management expert. You deal specifically in terrorism. And I think this is a great way to bring forward this issue of the challenges in the media with security. There's so many images people have, preconceived notions, stereotypes about security, which unfortunately I think our own industry perpetrates by not speaking in the media in the proper way. Did I, did I phrase that properly? I think so. Um, you know, to that point, it feels like there's a void every once in a while when a topic comes up. When you look at security issues in the news, I mean, it covers a very wide, wide span of, of issues. It's from, you know, there was a major art theft at the Metropolitan today to a terrorist incident to some, you know, security incidents surrounding the president to how do we do security for the Super Bowl next week. And on all these things, you need a level of expertise, and quite often that's lacking. So what you get is you get filler from somebody who's not in the industry, or worse yet, you get essentially somebody who's assuming certain things or believes that they may have some level of expertise and essentially giving out erroneous information. So I think it's important that people within our industry um, have a good voice on different issues and make sure that they're expertise, if you will, is available for the larger public. Now, I've been asked to be a talking head on some new shows quite often in my career. Going back to the studio days, I've always declined. And they say, why are you declining? And I say, because I don't know anything. And they say, my gosh, you have all this background, you know, all this stuff. And I said, you know what? I only know what I know during situational awareness of, of a particular topic that I'm personally working on. Everything else is an opinion. And I'm not sure opinions to the media are useful in our profession. It's a valid point, but I think what you're doing is you're not necessarily giving opinions so much as you should be giving guidance. What the news branch is looking for is what's news. So somebody with some level of expertise needs to indicate them, hey, this is new. Okay, when this incident happens, uh, yes, we can all see something there on the tube, but is it something that's been happening regularly? Does it stand out? For what reason does it stand out? So the first thing you can do is you can help them with what's the news value of something that just happened. But after that, based on your expertise, you can give them, and of course through them the viewer uh, or the listener, guidance on what's happening here. What's the context? How should I understand this? How should I see this? What is this a, a part of? And particularly, if you can then give them guidance on where it might go. Um, obviously, there's a lot of elements that go into that. There's a lot of artistry to it in terms of, you know, you have to display a level of neutrality, a level of brevity, a level of gravitas if it's a dramatic situation or a developing situation. But I think when you realize uh, and respect the media's needs, um, it's definitely something that goes well beyond just the point of I'm offering commentary. Now, if I'm speaking about a situation and my, my personal background contains factual information about procedures, policies, tactics, that's what I seem to not hear as much. Um, 
a friend of mine, Rod Bernson, was Fox Guy 11, ex-LAPD sergeant. He'd fly around and call out police pursuits, right? And his context and background of the pursuit would be, here's what you do in a police pursuit. Here's the procedure. Here's what's happening. That was easy for me to understand. But when we get somebody in the security industry that comes on and talks about a terrorism incident, for example, if they don't have the facts because this just happened, can we can we contribute to misinformation inadvertently? We can if you're not careful, but in general, obviously you need to stick to the facts. And when something like that is developing, and you mentioned you know, an excellent point in terms of you have to be able to hold back and not just sort of go with flow and what you think might be happening, but you can interpret what you see. Um, so you can see, hey, this looks like it might be, uh, and this is the reason why authorities who will be responding to this, colleagues in the security profession who might be responding to this, this is what they're likely to do. They're likely to assume A, B, or C. They're likely to do one, two, and three. So you can give the, the listener or the viewer uh, certainly a picture of this is what's going to be happening to this incident in terms of the response, in terms of how it's going to be looked at, in terms of the investigation. You might be able to give them an indication of a timeline, how long certain things are going to take, and whether that's ballistics or something, uh, research on, a, on a, an explosive device or something else. So you still give guidance here and you give something for people to clamp onto and give their thinking direction as they're looking up ahead and trying to interpret what's happening. What do you think the number one, I'm not sure mistake is the right word, but let's say a misstep security professionals may encounter with the media when they start speaking about issues? What, what is something they do that maybe they shouldn't do? I think it's, it's a couple of things. Um, one is you should definitely try to maintain your neutrality on things. Um, it's easy to go with your emotion and what you feel about a certain issue or a topic or somebody you might perceive as the enemy. Oh boy, you know, these bad people did this again. Um, the second point is it's a, it's a very basic one, but people who do a fair bit for the media, if, if you're trying to lend your expertise to them uh, and you say, look, you know, I'm a resource if you need me, you actually have to be available. You have to be reachable. You have to be available in terms of your time. Another one is simply discipline and it's discipline on all fronts. It's discipline mentally, um, but it's also discipline of learning. You have to be up to date in order to do it. You have to know what's going on. You have to have examples you can refer to. So you have to be ready to go. So if you're not able to fairly lucidly, you know, bring forward, hey, this is what happened in the last few weeks in this area. Uh, now this latest incident looks like A, B, and C. Um, you're going to fall flat on your face. So you got to have that currency. Um, and then the last factor I would think I would throw in right at this moment is experience. You do need some level of experience. I mean, people who have only been in the profession for two or three or five years that's often a bit too thin to fall back on in terms of your own learning curve, understanding some of the subtleties of your discipline, uh, but also being able to communicate uh, something that's happened to you in your history that, for instance, you're taking the listener on a path of, you know, well, when we did this as police or when we did that as security officers, those kinds of things have to be able to come forward automatically. And if you have little experience, it's it's hard to do that. Now let's switch over to international crisis management, terrorism, all the things going on. 
the, the world's on fire, right? And you're involved in crisis management at this level. Uh, give us some views from that perspective. Well, obviously, the elephant in the room is COVID-19, um, and it's dominated everything. Um, also, when we start looking at the other disciplines, and whether your specialty is, is robbery or museum theft or things such as what I look at in terms of terrorism, in a number of these areas, you, have, you can't quite speak about a standstill, but you do have a more limited level of activity in a lot of areas. Um, we see a, a lesser tempo of operations. We see how the impact on global travel through COVID-19, the impact on global mobility uh, in, in terms of COVID-19's influence and effect on industry and travel uh, is having a market effect on all these other areas. And it's interesting to see if I just reflect on looking at terrorism versus other topics, how, and I think rightly so, cybersecurity in particular has sort of come to the fore here. Because, of course, if we look at work from home, the attack surface for the bad people who are also sitting at home with time on their hands, it's become one of the few ways to effectively engage a lot of people right now as a criminal, um, more so even than, than terrorism. But it's also, of course, something where the attack surface has increased 100%. Does the security industry run the risk of severe downsizing? I don't think so. I think, yes, we're going to lose a little bit of security in the coming two, three decades when we're looking at automation. But I think what we've seen worldwide now in recent years with terrorism, with crime, with COVID-19 now in particular, is that security in essence has become an even more important functionality, particularly when we look at COVID-19. And that's because if you look at some of the core functions of security in terms of monitoring for threats, uh, intervening to cut down uh, or limit a threat, um, things like investigation, due diligence, uh, these are all functions that when we look at something like COVID-19, we all think of health safety, but the reality is who's doing these functions? Who's there present 24-7 in a building? Who can do the access control that we have to check people now? Who can intervene when somebody faints and it might be a COVID-19 case down the hall? It's going to be security mostly. So I think the, the coupling here with security also becoming a strategic value for crisis management teams, which often deal with, with sort of the higher echelon issues for an organization. Um, I think we're seeing a, an increase in a growth in value there uh, more than ever before. And I think we will also, because of not just the remote work, but the new upcoming no-touch culture, the redesign of buildings in the future, you're going to need security to play a role in that as well and develop as well. So there's going to be pressure, I think, on security to be more technologically savvy and uh, to have more say, not necessarily more important say, but a fixed role in a lot of these developments in the next few years. Glenn Schoon, thanks for coming on Security Management Highlights, my friend. Fascinating conversation and good luck to you in your future media encounters. Thank you very much, Chuck. Tune in tomorrow for my conversation with David Wolf and Annie Hutzinger-Boyer from Homeland Security about chemical security around the globe. And be sure to check securitymanagement.com and gsx.org for more reporting, information, and discussions about GSX+.